The story of Jonah continues. Last week we got up to about verse 16. We pick up in verse 17, and um, it was just the one right before this. Um, but the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. The Lord is God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? And the waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. As I was feeding the pigs and starving, I came to my senses. The theme just rolls through the scripture over and over again. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah up out upon the dry land. Kind of a ignoble beginning to the next step. The fish vomited Jonah up. He wasn't palatable, apparently. Pray with me. God, may your word come through. And uh, we pray that you would um, be with us. I'd like you to hear this song before the sermon. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before, you knew it was love And I saw it all, still I chose the cross And you were the one that I was thinking of When I rose from the grave Now read up the shackles, my victory's yours I told the veil for you to come close There's no reason distance anymore you're not far from home and I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea 
this morning. It'll take a little bit to shape what I hope to communicate today. Um, There is a a way of talking about the events of Easter and uh, the days following and Pentecost that the whole season, it's uh, some some theologians will call it the Paschal Mystery. It's just a, a fancy way of saying that there's this interesting unity of the events of leading up to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the appearances of Jesus, and then his ascension. And then ultimately we experience what is the birth of the church at Pentecost. It's, it's embodied in Jonah to some degree 
Though by the time you get to the end of Jonah, it's very unsatisfying for him. He never quite grasps what God's up to. And we have the benefit of of Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter Sunday for us. And sometimes we don't grasp what it means. The story of Jonah is one of the earliest symbols in the church of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a story that's a controlling story. It's used all the time. If you see an early Christian uh, iconography, uh, Jonah and, this, and the big fish or the whale or whatever you want to call it, there's, um, there's, it's usually a symbol or a reference back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You get it. I mean, it, the similarities are pretty easy. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, right? Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. Um, and uh, we can go back to a precursor of that with Lazarus. Lazarus was in the tomb for a while. And so we get these stories, and then in three days, he spit up on dry land, and there's a new beginning, at least the new possibility for Jonah. And if we take the Bible as a complete story, then we might even say that Jonah is a foreshadowing of things to come. We can look at all the hints, and the New Testament writers did this. They looked at all the hints of the Old Testament, and Old Testament scholars go ballistic because that's not how they read the Old Testament. The Old Testament stands on its own. The New Testament apostles and writers of the New Testament borrowed liberally from the Old Testament and just kept pulling it in to say, see, we, we, if we'd paid attention, we would have known. If we read the story of Jonah, we would have been prepared for Jesus' death and resurrection. You think about it. Jonah knew that Nineveh would mean his death. He would be the mouse in a house of cats. So he ran away. Only now to be in the grips of death. The death he tried to avoid. He's tossed overboard. He's swallowed up by this fish. I can't even imagine. I get claustrophobic in little spaces in general. I can't imagine being inside. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? We do talk of going down into death, don't we? Going down into. If you've ever been to the Vietnam Memorial, the artist that created it made it so that it felt like you were walking down into a grave. And I've never experienced that myself other than at that memorial. Um, but uh, about a week ago, my um, son-in-law, his, his, uh, his stepfather died um, a couple weeks ago. He's Muslim. And, um, and they do the burial rather quickly. And I'd never been to a, a Muslim uh, burial before. And we attended. And, and, um, and quite interesting, I... I at some point, maybe Josh will share with me what his experience was. But um, they, they go through several rituals. One is they wash the body. He and his brother and his uncle did that of his stepdad. And then they wrap him and then they get to the, 
the cemetery and um, the grave is dug and Josh and his brother and his uncle and the imam all got inside the grave. And I can't imagine what that would have felt like. So many things going on in my head. Not only do I receive the body of this person that I loved and have to put them in there, but I'm also in there with them. And that the story of Jonah wants us to kind of get in there with them and feel it. The experience of being deprived of life, of maybe even extinction. And I reflected as I was looking at Jonah this week, Jonah is just full and life is full of death. We encounter death all the time from, from, from death with a capital D when a loved one passes. We have two memorial services coming up for beloved people of this congregation. And it, it just seems like that's not going to slow down, doesn't it, sometimes? Life is full of death. And Jonah's story is instructive as we face them, face the many deaths. The death can be something as simple as, as just uh, losing a friendship. But it's, life has lots of it. Jonah's life had been upended by God's claim on his life. As far as we know, Jonah's life until this point was far from difficult. It was fine. And he felt it was fine. We might say that he was securely oriented prior to God interrupting his life. He achieved an equilibrium, perhaps, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It is what most of us are looking for, a peaceful existence. And then comes God breaking into Jonah's life. And it leads to a painful disorientation. He runs away from it. He tries to get as far away from it and move to another equilibrium, the kind of Shangri-La that he thought Tarshish was going to be, and he never gets there. In fact, he gets swallowed up in the sea. This disorientation, a place that you never imagined being, is not uncommon to us all. It's when what I count on is no longer there. I remember when my mom died. My dad had died many years before, but when my mother died, it was disorienting to me. I was no longer the child. I was now one of the last standing adults in our family. I was now the grown-up. I was orphaned. It was disorienting. And I had to figure this out. We often feel disoriented after a significant loss. A, a husband dies, a wife dies, a child dies. And life just isn't the same, is it? Not at all. And often realize that we don't recover from that. It lingers with us, stays with us. 
that disorientation is absolutely fundamental for us to grow as human beings. We can't avoid it. Jonah tried. He's in the grave, the belly of the fish. His life is lost. He can't get away. And then verses... um, And then throughout this, you get this lament. I called to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. You heard my voice, my... You cast me into the deep, into, my, into the heart of the sea, and, and I was surrounded by a flood, and the waves, and the, they passed over me, and I'm, I'm driven away from your sight. When will I ever see you again, God? And the waters were closed in over me, and the deep surrounded me, and the weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I was dying. I went down to the very place where I thought there might be release, and I was barred against going there. My life was ebbing away. I was far from home and facing extinction. Despair, ruin, disorientation, it's the way of discipleship. It's the way every Christian has to go in order to grow. Every community has to do this in order to reclaim its life. And not just once, I'm afraid. There will be a final one. And then we'll be delivered into the presence of God. But until then, we will experience this disorientation again and again. It's the map of the spiritual journey. Walter Brueggemann is the one that sort of outlined this, and he says that that, uh, at some point then there's this surprising reorientation that takes place. Three days in the grave, and then Sunday comes. And something completely unexpected, unimaginable happens. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Jonah doesn't die in the belly of the fish. Instead, he spewed up out on dry land. (laughs) Life after death. Often it's not as sudden as this. We wake up one day and we find that things are different. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in those seasons of disorientation, it isn't a sudden change. I just don't wake up happy one day. Or, or reoriented. It takes time. And at some point, I get up and there's hope. Things are different. There's a little bit of joy. There's a new way forward. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's faith. Signs that the Spirit of God is at work and we have a renewal of purpose. Jonah was spit up on the dry land. The chaos had ended. Remember, the sea represents the chaos. All of this experience in that chaos had come to an end. And now there's the potential for a new beginning. We'll get to that next week. The necessity of being disoriented, though, that when we think about it, um, that we think about 
the events of Holy Week and beyond. Um, one author, uh, Ronald Rollheiser, puts it this way. He says, theologically, looking at Jesus' teachings, and especially at his death and resurrection, what, followers from, um, what follows from them, we can see that there are five clear distinct moments in the cycle. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, the 40 days leading up to the Ascension, the Ascension and Pentecost. Each of these is part of a single process, an organic one. Each one needs to be understood in relation to the others. To make sense of this mystery, each is part of one process of transformation, of dying and letting go so as to receive new life and new spirit. So think about it with me and with him. Good Friday. Rollheiser would say, name your deaths. What are the deaths you are experiencing or you have experienced right now? Easter Sunday, claim your births, claim the new life. What is it? The 40 days, grieve what you've lost. And adjust to the fact that there's a new reality. It's the longest period. Grieve what you've lost and adjust to the fact that what you have before you is new. The ascension, don't cling to the old. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, he's in the garden with Miriam. What does he tell Mary uh, not to do? He says, don't touch me. And what, what some scholars have said is, he's saying, don't take hold of me. Don't hold me back. Don't grab a hold. And when we get to the ascension, Rollheiser would say, listen, don't cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessings. Mary, don't hold on to me. I've got to ascend so I can bless you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Pentecost. Expect the spirit of the life that you are in fact living. So in a sense, it's a sense that, that, um, that when we say accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living, Rollheiser stating um, that our spiritual life is rooted and grounded in everyday things. It's not some spiritual achievement. You're not trying to get somewhere. I think we think of the spiritual life as sort of, I'm going to get to that place where I can be shed of all the concerns that I have. And the spiritual walk isn't like that. It's rooted in your everyday activities. So can you embrace this life that God's given you that's new and living now by the Holy Spirit? Accept the spirit of the life that you are living now. Whatever it is. Because that's where God is. This is what's presented to Jonah. In the weeks coming, we'll be looking at this and Jonah will be given an opportunity to receive the life he's living now. 
We all know the end of the story. He doesn't really make it. Maybe we'll do better. We need to hear the rest of his story. But can we begin to understand this rhythm of living? This rhythm of facing our disorientations, our deaths, our grieving, and be surprised by new beginnings following. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the spiritual journey we're on. Pray that God would guide you and me and us together in learning from Jonah and Scripture from this Paschal mystery, a rhythm to live by day in and day out. Pray with me. God, it's hard to take all this in. Even as I preach it, I realize it seems like so much. And yet, um, I know that in each part, it's not that hard to understand. Maybe different parts touch us individually. Teach us, touch us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.